Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. This is going to be a little bit longer podcast than usual because we have a couple of special guests, but you're going to hear from manager Gonzalo Pineda, Johnny Fortune, Juan Hoparada, Brad Guzan, Kendra D. St. Aubin, who is going to be part of the team on the broadcast side of things Saturday for the team's match against Portland, which is going to kick off, I think, at 7.39 p.m. And you're also going to hear from Atlanta United's unified team coach, Marty Jalemi. It was a really nice ceremony Wednesday night at Park Tavern for these players, signing their contracts, getting their jerseys. There was a support. Some of the supporters groups were there. It was it was a really nice moment. We're going to get to hear from him on what was a beautiful night. If this is your first time listening to us, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor. But I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. So Johnny Fortune made his MLS debut last week against Charlotte. He was only in for about a minute, didn't get a touch of the ball. And so I asked him if he was worried that time was going to run out before he's going to be able to get into the game. Yeah, a little bit. A uh, couple, couple of the fans behind me were, were making some noise, telling me that you know time will run out. But you know, either way, I was just, I was just happy to, to see my number go up and be able to go in. It was a, it was a great moment. And uh, thank the coaching staff, players, and everybody around me who's helped me get here so far. And then, of course, the follow-up is: Was it worth the wait? It's up there for sure. It's up there for sure. Um, you know, you just kind of calm the nerves down, make sure it's all right. You know, obviously, you know, you just want to go in and give the best the best opportunity you have no matter how much time's in there so now fortune signed his homegrown contract well it was announced he was going to sign his homegrown contract last year effective january 1st this year so we asked him if this was a dream come true for him this is one of the goals i had when i first joined the academy was to be able to play with the first team in, in this type of environment and i'm just glad that it's it's paid off a little bit so i'm, I'm happy to to make my debut with with this team and you know, really thankful for it. And here's Fortune talking about what he's trying to learn from the more veteran players. I mean, you're surrounded by great players here, so it's just picking up little details that you can add to your game to make yourself better. I mean, we have players who, who see passes that you don't expect. They're good one-on-ones, good finishers, so it's just about taking little details from each player that's here and just talking and asking questions to try and better myself, to give myself a better opportunity and stuff like that. And what's the next step for him this season? The debut was made, but it, it all starts in training, you know, um, just try and come back in training and for me, do the best I can to get kind of that day out of my head and focus on the next one to try and train the best I can to give myself a chance of 
at first making a roster and then from there coming on and, and see what else can come from there. And here's Fortune on the best advice he's received so far. Just be ready to learn. Just be open mind, be ready to learn, and just work hard when you go out. I think that's key for me because, like I said, there's players here that you can always learn from them from, and then there's the coaching staff as well that's always willing to help. So just be ready to learn and, and work hard when you come out every day. Atlanta United posted its first shutout of the season in last week's 3-0 win against Charlotte. Here's Juan Hoperada, starting center back alongside Miles Robinson, talking about that shutout. It was good. We we felt very good with, with all the team, not only the, the back four. I, I think that... That clean sheet that we that we um, obtained in, in that game was important because we we have been um, working on it. So it's a, since a preseason, I think we we were wanting the the clean sheet, and I think we deserve the, that. Atlanta United was forced to defend 39 crosses and corner kicks from Charlotte in that game because they were able to jump out to that quick lead, and and then Charlotte put them under pressure. If you remember last season, the team really struggled sometimes defending set pieces. They gave up, I think it was 16 goals last season. So here's Parada talking about defending all those crosses coming in. Yes, yes, for sure. I think uh, that's the result of the work, of the day-by-day -day work. I didn't know that was too many crosses. Yeah, but <laughs> yes, the second half was, was tough. We were defending not only the defenders. If you see our two of our goals are from bringing the ball from our striker. So, as Gonzalo said on the, after the game, we, we don't defend only the, the back four and the goalkeeper. We defend all the 11 players that, that are on the pitch. And here's Parada talking about working with Abara, Guzan, and Robinson in the diamond in the center of that defense. It's getting better day by day. I think we're very solid. Uh, we have a lot of communication in, in the game, during the game. Also in the training, day by day, we are we're getting uh, stronger, and I think we are we're in a good in a good path. We, we also want to keep keep going and keep working. But I, I mean, it's only three games. There are only three games. We have a lot of games ahead, so we're working on it. And we are we feel good. Switching gears for a second, I just wanted to introduce. The unified team for Atlanta United, they get to play two games. It's 11-on-11 11 11 this season, which is different than last season when it was 7-on-7, seven seven, I believe. But the players are Savion Brown, Alex Eberly, Alex Evans, Xavier Hairston, D. Harden, Anthony Hernandez, Kelly Robinson, Stephen Russell, Liam Stewart. Now, the unified team is for players with mental disabilities. I've watched a few of their games in the past. They've been This is their, I think, seventh year doing this. It's really fun, and it's fantastic for the kids to be able to get to meet the players, to get to train at the team's facility, to get to play at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. One of their games is going to be, I think, at Mercedes-Benz. The other is going to be in Frisco, Texas. But here's their coach talking about what keeps him coming back. What makes me keep him coming back is the enjoyment for the kids, especially the players. You know, they don't get places like this that they can compete equally against their peers compete with their friends and actually try out and fail think about kids with special abilities they don't get a chance to really do that almost in any sport or any other venue where it's your peers and that's it and that's who you're gonna you're out to to be and it's a great learning experience even if you don't make it i've encouraged all sorts of people to come out and try even though the skills might not be there but they have to be independent they have to come out and be themselves carry themselves and that's a great thing for these kids.
And here's him explaining his coaching credentials a little bit. I do have a coaching certificate. I have my academy coaching when my daughter was playing soccer when she was younger. I went through to like state E or something like that. But I've been doing coaching for probably 10 years and just kind of evolved. And here's Marty talking about how he got involved with Atlanta United. So I run a group called North Fulton United out of um, Newtown Park. And I have 150 kids that come play all Special Abilities Unified teams. That's cool. So they heard about us years ago, and they wanted someone to play. So they called us up, and we brought a bunch of kids to play the Atlanta Unified team at that time. And then it's just kind of evolved into what it is now. Switching back to the team, Brad Guzan, of course, suffered a ruptured Achilles tendon last year. I asked him if he feels like he's 100% now. Yeah, getting there for sure. You know, it's every every game, it's continued growth, continued to a continuation of, of raising the bar and, and trying to be as sharp as I can. And here's Brad talking about how the defense is progressing so far. Again, they've allowed three goals, first clean sheet, and really only a handful of chances. There's still definitely areas where, you know, looking back at video and looking back at clips, you know, how do we deal with different situations? How do we, you know, you're, you're striving for perfection, right? And, and so every, every play, every, um, every pass, every ball, can we be a step this way, a step that right way? Um, how, do we, how do we fine-tune things? And, and so that's, that's now the, the process. I just posted a story about Miles Robinson. You can find it again on AJC.com or on my Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. But Robinson said in the preseason that he wanted to come back faster and stronger than before he suffered his ruptured Achilles. Here's Brad Guzan on what he's seen from Miles. Yeah, he's looked really good. You know, I, I was never uh, doubting the, the the bigger and stronger and faster part. Um, for me, I think the the part that's really impressed me is his calmness on the ball and his ability to find passes and take the ball under pressure and and find an outlet because I think if you look in preseason there were times where maybe he's tried to hit a diag or maybe he's tried to hit a ball down the channel or just a bit under pressure and ooh, let me get rid of this you know whatever now I think over the last three weeks you started to see him yeah give me the ball under pressure let me hold off the striker and find a ball in into you know Luis into Brooks into uh, Franco, um, Ibarra, you know, whatever it may be, right, into a midfielder. So, you know, I think he's been great. Now, for those who don't know, Atlanta United has had several players called into national teams and may have some more. That group includes Diego Almada going to Argentina, Diego Sakamakas going to Greece, Derek Etienne going to Haiti, Machop Chol might be going to South Sudan, Luis Abram might be going to Peru. So the team, of course, is playing well. It's it's off to its best start, 2-0-1 in franchise history. So I was curious if Pineda would keep the same starting lineup, knowing that even if he were to bring in Yakamakis to start, bring in Etienne to start, they wouldn't be able to start next week because they'll be off with their national teams. Oh, and Miles Robinson got called up by the U.S., of course. But here's Pineda talking about that. I'm just focused on this week. Uh, I'm not focused on next week. Uh, I want to put the best possible lineup for, for this game against Portland, then we'll try to worry about uh, Columbus. Portland is already suffering numerous injuries, much like Atlanta United last season. So I assume they're going to come in and try to play a low block, which is what most opponents do against Atlanta United and Mercedes-Benz Stadium. But here's Pineda talking about that. 
if I know something about Portland is they are always competitive, always competitive, especially with Gio. Like uh, no matter who they put on the field, they are always competitive, battle, uh, fight for every ball. So um, I, I know that side. So I don't think they're a team that are going to be feeling sorry for themselves for having a lot of injuries. They, they are going to come with everything, trying to win and try to beat us. So uh, no assumptions at all uh, is for me more the process of how we do that. I understand your question. Most of the time, we're, we've been dominating in possession in the bands, and how we do that, I would say, around the world, is something that is very difficult mm -hmm. to do. It's, mm -hmm. it's not easy to have 11 players on 30 by 76 yards and uh, and 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 put a player with time and space in front of the goal to score goals. So it's not easy to do. But we're working on that. Today was a bit tactical on different scenarios. One of those was that, breaking a low block. The team did very well. We scored a couple goals and, and we're happy with that. Obviously, in the game, it's always a different challenge, different tactics. Maybe they play 4-4-2, 5-3-2, whatever lineup they come up. Uh, we need to be able to find the solutions. And here's Pineda's thoughts on Miles Robinson. He looks good. He looks good. I don't know if, you know, it's my perception of uh, thinking that he's faster or stronger or smarter at how to press. Yeah, maybe. Uh, or, or we just forgot how fast and how good he was. Maybe because it's been a long time. But uh, overall, he looks fantastic. Better than I expected, to be honest. Uh, I expect the first couple games kind of be hesitant or, or not fully aggressive or like that. But he seems to be very good as if nothing happens to him and uh, I like that part and actually yes at times he looks faster uh, so so yeah hopefully we can keep him um, healthy and the management of our load in training sessions is appropriate when we limit a bit more him when we take some time on the field uh, in a proper way so so we are not uh, you know trying to achieve too much in the first year back but we get what what he is now is very good. And now here's my interview with Kendra. Uh, we did this on Tuesday afternoon. The audio quality isn't the best, but she gives a lot of fantastic insights into Atlanta United and Portland. Atlanta United is off to its best start in club history, but they also haven't played opponents that would probably be considered too tough. Do you think their success is a little bit of playing some weaker opponents and a little bit of understanding Pineda's tactics, or, or what do you put it down to? You know, I I like to look more at just how they've played and how they've looked in the games than necessarily the wins or losses at this point. I mean, it's kind of almost like early in the season, it kind of feels like preseason, where you more just want to know what are you getting out of the games? How are you looking in the games? What are you accomplishing? Are you gaining some ground each week? And I think with Atlanta United, there's been so much expectation since they just burst onto the scene in 2017. And what Tata Martino did, and when you had all those studs spending all that money, Carlos Bocanegra, a lot of pressure to, to put the right pieces in the right spot, and then it dipped. And then I think, you know, we talked to Brad Guzan before the first game of the season against San Jose, and he was like, look, like, we are not the Atlanta United of 2022. We're not the Atlanta United of 2018. Like, we are the Atlanta United of 2023, and it's up to us as a player, as players in a team, to change the narrative that is around us currently. We are the only ones that can do that. And so when I look at Atlanta United's first game against San Jose, I'm thinking, mm, man, they didn't look great and they probably didn't deserve points for that game, but they got a point out of it. Thiago Almada, who is supposed to be one of their superstar studs coming back from a World Cup win with Argentina, 
basically put the team on his back and scored two beautiful goals. And then you find, and then you even go back as their most recent result in what they were able to accomplish against Charlotte. And I think that is more the nature of what we can expect from this Atlanta United team in 2023. Don't talk about Joseph Martinez. Don't talk about Miguel Almiron. Don't talk about, you know, just focus on the team that is in the here and the now and how most of the pieces are healthy, knock on wood, that they stay that way. And the high press nature, the forcing of the turnovers, the making the most of your opportunities, didn't need like any wonder goals per se in the Charlotte win, but you were opportunistic. You took advantage of the moments. You took advantage of the turnovers. Caleb Wiley, you know, two goals and an assist. A beautiful day for him as a homegrown. And, you know, if you can get Aruju to play like he's supposed to play and, and worth the money that you spent on him, I think that this could be, a, you know, a pretty quality team. So I think that the results are befitting of what this team will and can be if they can find consistency and also stay healthy. But I think that it's not surprising to me that they have the record that they have. And I, I think that it doesn't really matter the opponent. You still have to take care of business. And Portland, kind of flipping the script around, looking at them. They've had two, one really tough opponent, LAFC. St. Louis is a lot better than people think. Kansas City is is struggling, but playing well, just can't get a result. What is it that Portland is doing well, and what is it that it needs to work on? Man, you talk about an injury bug. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you look at that Portland roster and quality on that team, but even when you read a lot of the preseason stories about what is this team going to be, and you even have players like Sebastian Blanco, who is so pumped to come back for 2023 because he was still dealing with them niggling knee issues in the same ACL that he had surgery on prior. You know, he was excited. We have the returning pieces. We have quality goal scorers. We have a good back line. Their midfield is consistently solid. Anytime a team has Diego Char in the lineup, you know it's usually going to be a good day. You have outside backs who can get forward and contribute to the attack. You've got Eric Williamson back and pretty much, for the most part, full fitness. And then now they've been bit by the injury bug. I mean, they've got DPs out. They've got, you know, um, Niz Godem, who's maybe not performing like they thought. Maybe Ivacic comes back in the goal. I don't know. Not that this is David Bingham's fault, but I think they've, you know, they've gotten that Ivacic goalkeeper. They've gotten him for a reason, and he hasn't played yet this season. So I think this Portland team, um, I don't think they're going to stay this way through the season, but I don't, you know, I think listening to um, Gio's post-game availabilities, his media availabilities, I think he's disappointed in the results, but not necessarily disappointed in the way that they've played thus far with the lineup and the lack of depth that they have and what they've had to throw out there. So I don't know. I mean, um, for the fan base of Portland, I hope that things turn around because I think they deserve better. You know, they missed the playoffs for the first time last year since 2016. So it's unheard of kind of for them to be in that position. I expected them to come back firing on all cylinders. Um, I know they just signed a new attacking number nine Mm -hmm. um, that they just inked. Um, I don't know when he'll be available, but um, I think that this team will turn it around if they can get some guys healthy. I think Jimmy Chara is a a huge miss for them. Mm -hmm. Juan hasn't been able to play. Felipe Mora, you know, still recovering from surgery from last season. So they're missing a lot of key pieces, but I think this is a good team and, uh, when they can hit you on the counter, they can really punch you in the mouth. But they didn't look; they did not look great against St. Louis. That's for sure. Do you think that Portland is going to try to sit back and counter at Line United? It's the tactic a lot of opponents try to use it on a really big field at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely doesn't have the same vibe when you play at Portland. Um, it's a much smaller stadium, much smaller. I mean, the field dimensions, you know, are somewhat similar, but it just has a different feel to it when it's inside a soccer stadium. I think that will be what Portland does, um, just especially depending on the health of the players and the team, not knowing who's going to be available yet. Even Evander, you know, right. wasn't fully fit when he came on. He had to come in 10 minutes in for a Paredes, and you could tell even Evander couldn't quite find his stride. He wasn't, there was no burst of speed there as he's dealing with some things. And he was played a little bit out of position. I think we can be more central and higher up the field. He's more dangerous. But um, he is one of those players that if you can, you know, get in those transition moments, he can make the pay. So I think that they'll want to, you know, invite Atlanta in a little bit, especially with the way Atlanta has been attacking as of late. But I don't think that against an Atlanta team, you can also just wait for your moment for them to turn the ball over. I think it's going to have to be sort of a happy medium of both. You know, they've got enough. If everyone, if, if, again, Portland depends so much on the health, they have like six guys and, you know, haven't been available. But if they can get their outside backs in attack and kind of cover up some of those holes in the middle and, and find a way to be effective from the wide spaces, I think that, they could find a way to be on the front foot a little bit. But then you've got Gootman and you've got Brooks Lennon on the outside for Atlanta. So who wins that battle? I mean, I don't know about you, but I find myself talking about, it used to be always a battle of the midfield, battle of the midfield, battle of the midfield. Now it's like, who's going to win the outside back wing back battle? Yeah. Because whoever is on the front foot more and attacking more, is forcing the other wing back on the opposite, on the opposite team to stay home and defend. Mm -hmm. And that means you're taking them out of the offense, right? So nowadays with the amount the with these wing backs are getting forward, it really could come down to, you know, Gutman and, and Brooks Lennon and then whoever they're able to throw out there for Portland, whether it's Mascara or whoever it might be, to who wins that outside wing back battle because I think that um that's a super effective piece of each team's attack. So I think it'll be fun. I think Portland is really gonna be chomping at the bit after those results. I just don't think they're going to be happy. They're going to be disappointed. And, um, you know, I just don't think Gio Savarisi and, and a player like Diego Char is just going to let that slide. And last question for me. Atlanta United is 2-0-1, and they haven't started Yurgo Sakamakas yet. They haven't started Etienne yet. Sosa hasn't started yet. Um, the Sosa-Sadich central midfield pairing, which did okay last season, hasn't started yet. And Luis Abram, who was – brought in to start beside Miles Robinson at center back. But Juanjo Parata is playing pretty well uh, with with Miles right now. If you're Pineda, do you start trying to put some of these guys into the lineup, even though the team's playing well, or do you kind of bring them in one at a time, or do you just kind of let the team play like it's been playing and, and see what happens? I think it depends on the position. I would not mess with the center back. If that center back pairing is going well, I would stick with it. And Juan Prata was good for you guys at the end of last season. I mean, yeah. he was unbelievable on both ends of the pitch, but the way he could dominate on set pieces, scoring goals. Now that Miles Robinson and him have gotten even more chemistry, some more time together since they didn't play a minute last season together with Robinson's injury, I wouldn't mess with that pairing. I think bringing Sosa back into the midfield is probably a smart choice. I've heard a lot going into the first game, and I know he was suspended, so they knew he was going to be unavailable, that he was sort of one of the missing pieces. He's that bite in the midfield 
um, for you guys defensively, kind of allowing others to push on and be more attack-minded in front of him, especially with Almada. Yeah, Abar is playing well in that position right now. Abar is is playing really well. He is playing really well, and that is where he feels more at home. And he Mm -hmm. said that to us. He'd rather be more of a six than an eight. He'd rather not have the offensive attacking responsibility. So if he can kind of lock it down and stay home in front of that back four. But then again, you have good depth. The fact that now you could bring Sosa off the bench if you needed to. Someone needed a break. Someone took a knock. Someone has a niggle. But Yakamakis, I would absolutely start him. I think that you have brought him in for a purpose. I only heard glowing reviews about him leading into the opening game. And they were hopeful that his visa could, you know, his paperwork will get done. It didn't. But he had been training in full with his team. You have players like Brad Guzan who are just, you know, raving about his professionalism, his work rate, his intensity, his demeanor, his personality, his not, you know, aside from just his qualities of being able to finish. And he was just itching to get on the field every day asking, is my paperwork in? Is my paperwork in? Is my paperwork in? Well, now his paperwork is in. And I think that unless his training has been really poor or unless he's got some sort of a knock that we don't know about, I would give him an opportunity to start in that number nine position rather than coming off the bench and see what this guy can do. There's nothing he wants more than to score goals for this team and to put one in the back of the net at home. I know he put one in the back of the net, but it was an offside you know, uh, yeah. ruled offside, and I believe it was the second game of the season. And I would that would be the one change that I would be like, yes, he deserves an opportunity to start, even though you guys just won three 0 on the day. You know, I I'm I, against Charlotte. Um, I think that he deserves he deserves an opportunity to get the nod. All right. Well, thank you, Kendra. How can people find you on your social media channels? I just have Twitter and I'm Kendra Sports <laughs> at Kendra Sports. That's Kendra with a Y. That might be the only snafu, but K Y N D R A Sports. And I can't wait to get back to Mercedes Benz this weekend. Kevin Egan and I were just chatting about it, going back and forth on text to get back to uh, Mercedes Benz this weekend for the big game. Kevin's good people. All right. Thank you. It was great talking with you and look forward to seeing you on Saturday. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When we come back, I'm going to answer your many questions about the MLS team. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs. And I'm Ned Ravone. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, you can get six months of unlimited digital access to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for just 99 cents. That's all of our sports coverage, politics, breaking news, investigations, food and dining, etc. Get all of our stories on AJC.com, access to our e-paper, and our assortment of newsletters, including Bradley's Buzz from Mark Bradley. So join our community by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. Now, and I want to remind you, 
that we have uh, a voicemail line, 770-810-5297, and we have a question on that. This is for Doug Robertson's podcast. Uh, my name is Shannon Jafolis from Smyrna, Georgia. I'm a founding member of Atlanta United. My question, Doug, is how likely is it in the next transfer window that we sell Amada? I believe it's it's highly likely. And if we do sell him, how much would the dollar figure be? I wouldn't take anything less than $30 million. Would love to hear your opinion. Thanks for the great podcast, Doug. See ya. Bye. Thanks for the great questions, and thanks for calling in. Daniel's getting bored waiting on that phone line to ring. Poor Daniel. 770-810-5297. He can't even watch the NCAA tournament right now because his eyes are glued to that phone. So call in with your questions, please. So if Almada keeps playing like he's been playing, I would be stunned if teams don't try to come after him this summer. I would also be stunned if Atlanta United doesn't try to sell him for at least $25 million. You know, Darren Neals was a pretty shrewd negotiator. I think that Garth Lagerway is also going to be just as shrewd, so I wouldn't be surprised to see it get up to $30 million. But a lot will depend upon the player. If the player says, look, I like this offer, I want to go to Team X, I know the offer is only $25 million. it would be hard for Atlanta United to say no. But Almada is playing very, very well. He had a great game against Charlotte. I'm curious to see what he's going to be able to do against Portland, which I do think is going to play in the low block, respectfully disagreeing with what Gonzalo Pineda had to say. Now, on to Matthew. Seven points out of nine isn't nothing to sniff at, but no goals from a striker yet. At what point of the season should we start to be concerned that the strikers aren't scoring if this continues? So here's the thing. When the team signed Miguel Berry and when it signed Yorgos, one of the things that both, well, I think, Lagerway, Bocanegra, and Pineda all talked about was maybe you don't get as many goals from the striker as the team did from Joseph Martinez, but you're going to see everybody around them scoring because they are complimenting each other. And that's what you're seeing so far with Atlanta United. You haven't got a goal from Miguel Berry or Yorgos or Jackson Conway yet, or possibly Eric Lopez, who's rejoined the first team as he can play striker. He can play either wing. He can play as an attacking midfielder. Data was saying today, but you're seeing goals from pretty much everywhere else on the field. Now, do I think the strikers are going to continue to not score? No, I don't. I think they'll start scoring. So I wouldn't be worried about this yet. As I keep saying, if we get 10 games deep, into the season, and neither Atlanta United nor the strikers are scoring, then you might want to start to worry a little bit. Matthew continues, I know it was the third game, and the team should be improving week to week, but I don't think it was a coincidence that the best team, that the best the team has looked so far happened on the road. Charlotte's willingness to attack created space for Atlanta to exploit, which wasn't there at home the first two games. I fully expect the same to happen this weekend against Portland, and for most of the games at the Bend throughout the season. Acknowledging the history Atlanta has had on the road, with the way this team is set up to play, is it possible that they will have more success on road games where presumably the opponent would be more willing to attack in front of their own fans and give Atlanta more space to operate versus games at home where the opponent is more likely to bunker? Yeah, I mean, logically that makes sense. Uh, but, you know, Atlanta has always played so much better at home, even if the opponent is bunkering than it has on the road. So let's see what happens against Portland this week, and then I might be more inclined to either agree or disagree with you, but I like I like the thought and the way you're going. Rob says, while I'm encouraged by Atlanta United's start, let's be honest, they've hardly played the league's upper echelon and haven't really been tested. 
United's press has been impressive, but they haven't been able to string combinations together. They just don't look dangerous in this form and have it for years. Maybe they could feast on the high press going forward, but watching them dribble endlessly around the box with an occasional empty cross is hardly the exciting team of yore. Felling the timbers will have me feeling much better about the five stripes. We appreciate the work you do and your honesty in evaluating Atlanta United. Well, thanks. I don't know if I agree with some of your points. I thought they did really well going from back to front against Charlotte. But of course, Charlotte did try to play with them for a little bit. And Atlanta United got that early goal and forced Charlotte to try to play some more, which is always the key to to not letting opponents get into that low block. It's get that early goal, make them come out and play. Bill, longtime friend of mine, Bill, and I'm going to give him an honorary membership in the Get Fresh crew, says, do you think crew and Red Bull will be hit as hard as Atlanta by call-ups those weeks? I've already listed most of the players that are out for Atlanta United for that game next week. So far for the crew, Lucas Zellerian is out, Milos Dejanak is out, and Eloy Vroom is out. The Red Bulls, I haven't seen any call-ups for them yet. Right now, Atlanta United is going to be hit harder, but the good thing for them is, with the exception of Almada, I think they have plug-and-play players from most of the other positions. Etienne goes out to Haiti, Wiley steps in, who's already started the first three games, and I think will probably start the fourth. Yakamakis is out. Well, Miguel Berry has already started one game, and I think probably will start against Portland. Miles Robinson is out. That's a tougher loss. But Luisa Brom can play on the left with Parata shifting over to the right. Tiago Almada is the big wild card. I don't know who in the world would fill in for him. Doug, another Doug, member of the Get Fresh crew, says a behind-the-scenes question. Are all the things back to normal post-COVID? Is the ice cream machine back? You better know it. You think I'd go to the games if the ice cream machine wasn't back? Full team access granted, yet we've had that for the past two seasons now. Was anything not brought back for reporters? I can't think of anything. No, no, everything's back to pre-COVID as far as I can remember. There's some changes with the Apple deal this year, but it's not bad stuff. It's more first world problems. Henry says, going into this game against Portland, what are your expectations? Are you as optimistic as you were before the Toronto match? I am. Before that Toronto match, I thought Atlanta United was due to really whip somebody's butt, and I was off by one week. They did it against Charlotte. Portland is going to be tougher because, again, I think they're going to play a low block, but I do think Atlanta United gets the win. Henry continues. Total hypothetical, but would you think of Roberto Firmino, or what would I think about Roberto Firmino coming to Atlanta? So Firmino is leaving Liverpool, the greatest club in the history of clubs, just my opinion. In the summer transfer window, he won't come to Atlanta. They don't need him, for starters. I'll, I'm curious to see where he does go. And third, from Henry, friend of the podcast, would you rather only listen to Fallout Boy for the rest of your life or never drink coffee for the rest of your life? Well, I'd have to give up drinking coffee because I cannot listen to that horrendously awful Fallout Boy. Ivis says, the Atlanta United squad seems to play much better on the counterattack, but when they're playing at home, the opponent doesn't want to try and have possession and attack, which is necessary for Atlanta United to create counterattacks. What can a team do to force the other team to have possession and attack? Well, just keep giving them the ball. <laughs> I guess it's one way. Uh, also playing a low block. I, I don't know. Atlanta United is not built for that. They want the ball. They want to keep possession. I agree with that theory, though I, I do think Atlanta United – has a higher probability of scoring on counterattacks than it does against low blocks, but that's true of almost every team in the world. They're built to be a possession team. So, you know, I guess you can lure 
teams in by turn by turnovers or, or things like that. But I just don't see that happening. Art says, welcome to Midtown. Well, thanks, Art. I live nearby and love this part of town. So do I. I'm curious on your thoughts on a potential sale of Almada. Well, I've answered this one. You know, he says he loves Almada and wishes he could stay with us for longer. But obviously, if he's ready to go to Europe right now and that's what he wants, they have to sell him. Yep, I agree with you, Art. And if they get a good offer, I think he's gone. Mike says, it's obviously early to start talking playoffs, but if Atlanta United gets three points Saturday, there has to be precedent that says they have a good shot and a pretty good seed in the playoffs. Any thoughts? I'd have to go back and do some math, but I agree with you. Um, fast starts usually lead to good seeds. Uh, funny, funnily, funnily, is that a word? Seattle is kind of the opposite of that. They've they've either started fast and finished poorly or started poorly and finished fast. But we'll see what happens. You know, the tough part of Atlanta United's schedule has not come up yet. There's a string of road games upcoming, and that's going to be a better indication. What surprised you most from the start of this season from an Atlanta United perspective, Mike says? Central midfield. You know, that was the big question mark for me going into this year. But Abara is playing well. Uh, Sadich has played well. Before him, Huzetu was playing well. But opponents scout. Opponents learn. Let's see if they try to take advantage of whatever weaknesses they think that Atlanta United has. Brad says, Miguel Barry has been solid the first two games, and he's made the most of his minutes. My question is, how tight will the competition for a starting spot be once Yakamaka settles into his DP role? I'm curious to see if he's going to start on Saturday because he's not going to be here next Saturday for the Columbus game. If I'm Pineda, I have to give serious, serious consideration just keeping the same lineup together, knowing the Etienne isn't going to be available, knowing the Yakamakas isn't going to be available, and knowing that you're off to the best start in franchise history without those two guys in the starting lineup. But we'll see. Symbol says, my only comment is you're starting 11 for law and order. How could Jerry Orbach not be your striker? I thought I included him in the lineup as a midfielder and explain why the those guys were the midfield. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. I think he was in there. And if not, shame on me. Chris says, goalies are taking way too long to put the ball in play. And with the best concession prices in Major League Soccer, all the people who leave their trash behind need to carry their trash out. Well, okay, Chris, I agree with you. You learned that in Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts. Leave no trace. Always pick up your trash. Now for our question of the week. From member of the Get Fresh crew, and one of the guys is responsible for my career in journalism, Eric. He says, I saw your tweet regarding the helicopter arenas. So my tweet was that the arenas seem like really horrible people after reading the report that posted on Tuesday. And then I followed up that tweet by saying, if Claudio and his wife are saying this to higher-ups at Major League Soccer, I can only imagine what they've been saying to Gio for all of his life and just how warped his psyche might be at this point. Anyway, Eric continues, do you have an anecdote that stands out from your long and storied sports writing career? Well, I'd say long, but certainly not storied. Career about over-the-top parents. He says, years ago, during one of my journalism stints, I knew of a college coach who placed an asterisk next to a particular recruit's name. The asterisk translated as baggage, said baggage was that recruit's father, digging the podcast. I don't really have a specific anecdote, but when you work for smaller newspapers, more community-focused newspapers, not that it, the AJC is not a community-focused papers, but I mean, it's much smaller community-focused newspapers, which is how I kind of came up through the ranks. A lot of times you'll get calls from parents who are disappointed that you didn't cover 
a, a certain youth sporting event. And the typical reason given for why that event should have been covered or should be covered is, well, the kids work so hard. And that is true. The kids do work so hard. But so do the kids in the other sports that have more readership interest. It's not to diminish the accomplishments of your child or their sport or their team or the parents who support the team or the league they're playing in. But you just have to make decisions on what is probably going to be of the most interest to the most readers. And that's how most decisions are made, at least when I was an editor. One of the more painful ones was a big swim meet featuring three big teams from our area at a paper I used to work at. And we simply didn't have the bodies to cover it. It's an annual event, but we did not have the body. So we sent a photographer and did a big photo page. My voicemail stayed full for like two days. All with variations on, but the kids work so hard. But what's always funny to me about that about that statement is I don't get phone calls from you talking about other sports that your kids aren't competing in. Like my neighbor's friend is doing X and X in this sport this weekend. You should cover it because he works so hard. Anyway, I understand why parents call in. I would I would do the same if if. Uh, well, I probably wouldn't do that, but I understand why the parents call in. And it doesn't mean we don't love your children. It just means that we have limited resources trying to satisfy the most readers. That's really all it is. All right. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Doug Robertson. You can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, on Instagram at the Douglas David Robertsons. As always... Hug your loved ones, communicate with your loved ones, y'all take care.